Wow. Well, uh, that long introduction didn't help my time factor. I am John. I am an alcoholic. And my, my sobriety date, by the grace of God, and I'm able to say I mean that. And I'm going to start right up front with, uh, like Bill wrote the big book and then the pre- the, uh, pre- the preamble, or I mean the forward of the first edition, that uh, about being the first hundred people and the hope message and that we had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And by saying that I intend to be sure I remember the theme of this wonderful conference, uh, thank you for thanking the committee. I don't have to do that intro. But uh, I would like to put on this hat to commemorate those in the committee. This is this came in my basket as a speaker basket. And w- while I'm talking about the committee and the wonderful dinner, the supper, how about it? It's a general's hat. Someone was going to salute. Mark is gone. Now, uh, the good news. I've had plenty of time, besides the four months I practiced this talk, thanks to Jim uh, with a deadline in November letting me know that God had, he called me about this this talk, and I didn't know it was going to be the Saturday night speaker, but I encouraged him, uh, like a good sponsor would, to go to the big book and the 11th step and through prayer and meditation contact the God he prays to, and he would be revealed who would be the speaker. That was his second call to me. The next morning at 9 o'clock my time, 8 o'clock his time, the phone rang. Jim says, guess what? Step 11 works. Hallelujah, you're it. (laughs) And that's a true story. Now, there's more good news. The good news is I have had, this evening even, time to fine-tune this talk right here in this chair. The bad news is my time is up. And your butts know it. <laughs> I'll take this off now, and, and, and not to get serious, because uh, uh, we do have to remember, as uh, Lee told me at lunch, uh, not to forget not to forget the uh, Rule 62, and not to take myself too darn seriously. And on a serious note, I have a son in this program. I'll tell briefly about my family background, but except for Uncle uh, Grandfather Smith and Uncle Doug Smith, uh, where I got the gene that I know is part of my my alcoholic makeup, my nervous system that's in that ball of fat with all those nerves in my brain with receptors that take just a hint of alcohol and turn it into a flush of endorphins, which is morphine, and I'm off and running. And like Sherry so carefully and accurately explained, once that happens, uh, not not that uh, Lee didn't do a good job on that this morning, when, when uh, I've got that alcoholic rush and my... Uh, my perception of reality is altered. All bets are off. Ugly looks beautiful. Bad looks good. And it can justify anything. And in the morning, if there's too much guilt and remorse and shame, you can start over. Now, uh, uh, so now you know how it was when I was drinking. Now, I, I wanted to get serious about my son, Greg, who is uh, in the program, uh, and his oldest brother, uh, his older brother, and his birth. is going, You're going to hear about that when I briefly touch on uh, his mother. That would be my ex-wife. You know, drinker. You covered that real well this morning, Lee, too. Or no, I think you were talking more about relationship, twisted relationships, Sherry, that uh, Doris was here uh, still with 
still with my friend Lee after four, being 14 years old, which is kind of when Marlene and I started. But John, my eldest son, uh, the, the birth was stick to an act of God, a footprints in the sand kind of thing, and I hope I get take the time to do that. But I do have to move along, not just because it's getting close to my bedtime. <laughs> But because uh, uh, I want to be into the message of hope and the recovery and how wonderful it has been for me to end up knowing God. And this is a good, good this is what Bill, how Bill wrote. He'd tell you what he's going to tell you and then write about it. And then after he got through with that, he'd say, see, I told you. And, uh, and so I want to be in, in that hope where, where I can, can know God and, and remembering that what I was like before I drank and while I was drinking, I had no God. And that's not just a play on words, but if you talk about the old way of life and the new way of life, you newcomers listen, when you get God in your life, and you will if you do the 12, 12 spiritual steps, they're not easy always, but they're fun if you work with a sponsor. And I'm saying hi to you newcomers. I'm glad all of you uh, and, and didn't leave after the, the drawing. <laughs> a lot of people did. And most of you came back, I'm sure. But uh, but the the other thing about uh, about that is if you're doing the spiritual steps and follow a few simple rules, as I was able to do after my my bounce off the bottom. Thank God. And another little teaser. I was 53 years old. It was 1987. I told you that date. If you'd done the math, I'm 22 and a half years tomorrow at one o'clock. The 28th, the 28th of March is six months, and who's counting? So, uh, but 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 really, to be able to uh, have a happy, joyous, and free life most of the time, and be able to uh, really not grind up here, as I did many times in talks that were not as as dynamic as this group. And I'm not going to blow smoke. You know, it says in the big book, Bill knew what to write. You all out there, especially even newcomers, but you out there do not need to hear fluff and hear pleasant talk and happy words of wisdom. You need weight and substance in order to be attracted to... I got goosebumps just now. That's crazy. <laughs> it's really... Because when I, when I go into the big book and with the sponsor, and, and Jim knows this, I've got some words for Jim when I... Uh, when I'm through with this general introduction, but and it's good that I can hear myself saying the things I wanted to say one time or another this evening. Uh, but when when I go into a book and I know what page to go to for a step, now I'm not a big book guru, and I get accused of it in my home group even in in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, I, uh, I I see people looking at the clock when I raise my hand to share in a closed meeting because I'm going to the book as long as it takes to do the paragraph or the page if it's three paragraphs. And if it's a principle or a prayer or a step and the principle's there, I'm going to p- apply that to the solution to whatever the topic is. And then I shut up. And I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I'm proud to say that not enough of us uh, refuse to play. Well, that was good. Well, I'm glad. Amen. I have my hearing aid, and you want to be careful with that. Uh, you know, the, the, thing, the thing about the principle is I would not necessarily win a trivia contest on Big Book because they get a little tricky. But uh, I need to be able to have my, my, sponsor, 
and and I'll talk about Jim in this vein too. Uh, one of the Jim said he didn't necessarily get it with me, and we only had a couple of years together. And, and Jim was very eager to learn the steps and the words, and have me tell him what the words meant, and then have him agree. He was typically slow to work the steps, but he was eager to learn them. And the reason I knew he would overcome that. In due time, but I was new at the sponsoring, 87 and 91 and 92. I was still learning how to not give out reading assignments, but to talk about how I read the big book and let people want to. But, uh, Jim would, uh, and we were, we were golfers. I'm glad I'm into this. I, I have, I have a little humorous story about our golfing. And, it, and I'm going to tie it to the golf matches that were played on Friday that Jim and I had the good sense not to go out in 35-degree weather and soggy turf and play 18 holes of golf. Uh, first things first, guys, I was here for this conference. And and, and uh, what, what happened that day and, and the two Marks I was talking to and, uh, and Gary and, and probably not Denny, and that's a family joke, but uh, a remark, uh, from what they said about their scores, my comments about golfing and why we're attracted to it would be accurate. But Jim and I would play golf either at uh, in Collierville, Tennessee, where I got sober. Collierville called their group an original name, the Collierville Group. And I was assigned to that group by my uh, by my counselor, and I went there to that group. And Jim played. Jim and I played at Houston Levy Country Club and or Plantation. And we did have a meeting whenever we played golf, either on the patio outside the clubhouse waiting for our tea time, or most generally, in whatever car we drove, we'd have a meeting in the car. And we'd be the last car out of the parking lot at dusk, and uh, Jim would listen carefully and had a lot of questions, too damn many, really, but but most, and not all of them were significant, but they were questions. And uh, and, and one of the things he would bring up from time to time after uh uh, he, he talked about the difference in our skills, and I think he exaggerated that. Thanks for you will never will beat me. <laughs> and that and that trip I brought came to to uh, to Lake of the Ozarks in 1993. We played snow in a blizzard, and I was dressed. I looked like the Michelin Man, and I think I still had you know a shot broke a hundred. But Jim would say, Jim said two or three times, "Why do we play golf? It's so frustrating." We're trying to be serene, and he, and he really, and, and uh, my dear Margie friend, my ride from Springfield on, on Thursday night, and our wonderful dinner at Taco Bell <laughs> on the highway, you know, that was good. You know, I love that new burrito. But, uh, uh, and, and then I was a house guest that night. I'm just kind of going in a little circle here, and I'm going to get down to the program, and I'll be rolling. I feel real confident about the program now, and too confident about myself right now. But Margie and Jim uh, let me be a house guest. We stayed up till 1230, 1.30 my time watching basketball, and we had fried chicken and stuff at midnight, and I felt like family. I was at home, and it was, this has been a nice hotel for me to be in, but being in Jim and Margie's house, and then getting to see their son, getting to see their son uh, uh, Justin yesterday uh, was uh, was a real treat, and so uh, uh, just as gracious as everyone who's come up to me has said uh, how much they were glad I was here, and uh, yeah, sure you should be, and I now am too, but now I'm going to see how many of you say how glad you, I was here when I get finished. Because I'm going to try to get strong at the end. But back to this this question about why do we play golf? Well, Jim, I've got the answer finally. About six months ago in Sarasota, a circuit speaker came through. A podium like this, 
a microphone like this, which I'm usually a, have an aversion to. But he was talking, he was a golfer too, and many of us in this room are golfers or some kind of competitive sport. But in golf, the reason, this guy said, the reason we play golf in a lot as golf, as golfers is it, it is so like sex. Well, now he had my attention. <laughs> Because I was, and I was on the edge of my seat there in, in the speaker, and, and I leaned forward, and would you like to know the answer, Jim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be good at it to enjoy it. Yeah. Mark and Mark. <laughs> right on, huh? Don't argue with that one. That's right. You know, um, my first drinking experience, I got a pat on the back. <laughs> Now you know. I've got some here. Is my voice raspy? I need this. My first drinking experience, I did not drink. And I say this because it's... Isn't that good? My last drinking experience, I drank. You will hear about the progression of the drink in my story. Especially since when I get to the first drink, which is upcoming quickly. But the drinking experience was, and I and I'm... I'm almost deliberately jumping over the family background. I came out of the Depression years. Uh, I'm 76 years old and damn proud of it because it really I am. It's amazing. Uh, and, and, and 1934 and, and Grandpa, and, and I, I met him one time, and Uncle Doug and even Uncle Jim were carpenters. They built homes. And, uh, you know, we're coming out of the Great Recession. And you all know it. And I lived in Detroit, and I know that. And then down in Florida and in tourist areas like Lake of the Ozarks, we know it. And there are houses upside down, and Margie knows underwater houses. And she knows houses that are listed and have been listed and will stay listed. It's going to turn sometime soon. But, but the Great Depression, the houses that Grandfather Smith had built with Doug's help, were, were unsold, and the bank owned them. And the banks were closed. And it was really bad. And when I think of what mother went through, my mother, the, uh, the daughter of, of an angry mother, Barbara Smith, who raised us, and the way they, they had to migrate through Ohio and, and get me to Michigan and, and be in inner city Michigan. And this is, I'm going fast because I don't like this part of the story. You know, race riot that one year in 1930 and 40 or 41. I don't remember all these things, but I remember the riot thing, not being able to go out. I remember the alley behind our apartment house, which was a tenement. And I remember the alley rats and the alley cats. I remember whether they were fighting or playing. I remember the fumigation of the apartment. I remember the germs. I remember, I remember being sick and being the wrong age to go to kindergarten at age five. And, and this sounds like Sherry's story. And I was, I was, my foot, little foot was going fast when you were talking about elementary school and maybe skipping a year and finally getting double promoted and being schooled, school, uh, school, uh, homeschooled. Someone say breathe. <laughs> homeschooled. I couldn't go to school. I came home and, and that, the first grade I finally got into, I was almost, I was almost seven years old and I'd only been to, been to school a few weeks and I came home with the mumps and the measles came on before I left. And those of you my age or even a little bit younger can remember that measles and mumps are nothing to be, be, uh, be, 
to take lightly, especially in those days when there was not enough vaccinations, and it did cause some, uh, uh, did affect my maturation process bodily and mentally. And the nice thing about that is, the good news from the bad news is, I'm still aging slowly as I age, and you know, and, and, and that's going to last a lifetime on this earth. And, and, but when I got all through with that, I had to look, I had to look at none of that affected why I drank because I only remember most of it from being told by cousins of Aunt Ruth, daddy, who was my stepfather, which I didn't know. And that's a confusing story that you don't even know about, but need to know about, except that when, when daddy was killed and when I was a senior in high school and to be 17 years old in February, and it was 27th, and, and uh, I was going to find out that he was my stepfather, and that he adopted me when I was seven years old in 1941, and I became Johnny Miles from Johnny Smith, and then I could get baptized. All this came out when I was the executor of mother's mother's death, and and this is this is good. I know all this now because I look closely at this when I I wrote a four step getting ready for this speech. Now, you don't do a four-step and a fifth-step up here, thank God. But I learned a lot about myself thanks to Jim and the committee and, I guess, God. And mental language comes before serenity, and I went through a lot of that getting ready for this talk and don't have any of it now. The more the, the anguish, the higher the level of serenity. But back to this thing, Daddy was killed before OSHA, before EPA, in a factory in downtown Detroit. We're driving cab and, and also working in the factory. We were humbly poor on, dirt, on the gravel streets in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, eventually. And what happened was, uh, in, in those days, in Hamtramck, and I, I don't want to go to the ethnic part of that, but somebody pushed a button and knocked that ladder over with a with a conveyor belt. He fell his floor and half the concrete floor. A taxi cab ride to the hospital. I was topped in the shoulder in a little movie house. I went to the hospital. Daddy's laying there unconscious by this time, but he had sat in the chair and gave the admitting secretary his vital statistics as much as he knew. They gave him a sedation, and he never he never recovered from a punctured lung, from fractured lung, from fractured ribs, a bad uh, bad. Had uh, concussion, internal injuries. He died. He stayed her over. Christmas died on the 12th day of January. And my broken-hearted, grieving mother could never bring it to tell me the things I didn't need to know. That I never had, will never know my father, my biological father, and and all the all now, now that became a factor because I know now that understands the anger and the overloving and all the things that went on in the house that affected my feelings. And that's what we really look at the, f the family for. And so, having said that, I've come a long way. I can get, I can start drinking right now, and I can get into treatment. And it was treatment, Lee, that I was able to go to, uh, and that was by the grace of God. And I did not know that till later. But I want to talk now about that first drinking experience in this. And, and I talked about the apartment house. We were renting. Oh, you, my signal guy's here. I'm doing good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, it's late. Uh, this this little apartment we moved into in St. Clair Shores, a little gravel road on Lake, on, on Lake St. Clair, Jefferson Avenue, and uh, I don't remember. Now, this is important. I don't remember a thing about the apartment. It was a little apartment upstairs over a dry cleaner, and I looked out the little be bedroom window I laid in. I don't know where June, my sister, my new sister, three years old, my brother Jim, and I call them brother sister. They're not half-brothers. By God, they're more than 100% better. I ignored them my whole, my whole early life because I was busy with 
with myself and my peers at school. I was more interested in, in being the teacher's pet and, and being a, the class mascot and being the athlete's water boy. And I never hardly went home. And when I did, I went to sleep and got up and went back to school. But the point was today, Jim and June, my brother and sister, we love each other. And we say so. Jimmy's in California. We do it by phone. I'll see my sister Tuesday when I fly home Sunday. I'll be down as soon as she's down. She's a recent widow, and she's down in Fort Myers Beach, and I'll be there to help her with her condo that she rents, and, and we'll hug and cry, and, and it's so wonderful that that's the new way of life of me because I have family now, and, and especially my dear mother. I'm going to tell you that story. But, but back to this experience. Well, I didn't drink. I looked out the window, and down there, at, at right in the corner across the way from my little bedroom, and I don't know where else it was in the house. I don't know what mother looked like. I know she was pregnant. I don't know what grandmother looked like at that time, but I do know what that bar looked like at Tuesday night and Thursday night, which were bowling nights, and Friday, Saturday night. Four doors down from that tavern was the bowling alley, which I eventually set pins at. And and uh, and I, I looked out that one night, whichever night it was, before school started, it was summertime, and and uh, the blue and white and green lights and the laughter and the raucous laughing and, and loud voices and the music. And I laid there, and this little alcoholic's brain was getting all those vibes, and it was like a little bit of dopamine was trickling out. And my alcoholic nature was awakening as I drifted off to happy sleep. And I swear that was the first time in my young life that I'd ever felt happy and, and ease and comfort because our life had been really tough and hard bouncing around. And that is significant because uh, the rest of the years, Sherry, in, in, my, in my elementary school, even though I had bumped up a grade and all that, my classmates were not threatened by my little size, and I became, uh, and I was homeschooled. Hell, I was smarter than heck on reading, writing, arithmetic. I didn't work in high school especially moving from class to class. I had the, the one teacher and 20, 20 fellow students for uh, till the eighth through the eighth grade through the eighth grade. And, uh, and so I, I had a happy time, no problems. But the restless, irritable, discontent, fear, and worry when came when I couldn't, I couldn't smooze eight or six teachers and roam the halls and keep up with these fellow classmates of mine who were changing before my eyes. And, and that frustrated me a lot. But I didn't get too frustrated. I, I just started hanging around with the younger guys and gals in the background. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll bounce ahead right now. Uh, you, you got the message now on the drinking experience that I didn't drink. Uh, the junior year, uh, 14 years old, uh, I'm the water boy, student manager, varsity jacket, stripes. I'm playing with, I'm hanging around the athletes. And I'm getting my I'm getting my voyeurism because I wanted to be like them. I had coordination. I could run on play, but only with the younger kids. And 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 I hung around the pool hall and I hung around the track and the gymnasiums and the locker rooms. And it was a small school, and that's how I became equipment manager. That means you catch the dirty, wet shoulder pads and you carry the hurdles and the tackling dummies. And boy, that was an experience. But I needed that, and I was one of the and I, and and incidentally, the punks in the playgrounds and in the, the schoolyard. After after school, uh, one time they were bouncing me around a little bit, and all of a sudden a linebacker and a fullback, and these little legs were dangling, and that's the last time anyone bothered little Johnny Half Mile. And when you're Johnny Miles and they're calling you Quarter Mile, the only ones who can do that is you. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and it wasn't Half Pint either. 
when that kid tried that one time. So my point is I was secure, but I was not, I was always aware that I was not going to be a man very long, very soon. And so I tried very hard. And when you're restless, irritable, and discontent, restless means you're always full of energy. And irritability means you're too damn sensitive. And we are. And then, of course, discontented. I know what that means. I looked it up in the dictionary. Some of them is d disappointed. I was disappointed in what was going on. But I kept on trying. And then, and then when, 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 in the, in the, but anyway, the player, the, the players at the pool hall, you know, that smoked the cigarettes and chewed tobacco. In St. Clair Shores, we're all out there, and uh, and shot pool and borrowed the parents' car when the parents didn't know it, and skipped school and the things I wanted to do but didn't dare because little Johnny had to be good. To, and, and I was told that by Grandmother Smith a lot. I had to be good, and and I wanted to be good. I said, people please your boy. I people please anybody but family. Family didn't. It didn't matter what my mother thought. I realize that now. I regret it so much. But they decided they teach me how to drink a Miller beer. In the back seat of a Buick, which was there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I found that out. But that doesn't matter when I found that out. But I do know that I got in the back seat of this this car with two or three guys, and I think they were trying to set me up just to make a fool of me. Well, uh, I got that. That didn't work. They gave me a long neck of Miller. Now I'm not talking pony. I'm not talking Miller Lite. A nasty, not fully cold. And I was I was working on getting that down, Sue. And I'll tell you what, I was taking too long, and they were working on their second one. So they gave me a cold one, and that tasted better. You know, it came off fresh. And I guess I finished it, I'm not sure. I woke up on a pool table, looking at the light, that light. And I did have a heart attack from the, from eating too much fried chicken and drinking too much whiskey. And, and, uh, oh, I want to cover that later. I, 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 I digress too, too easily. So I'm laying there, and there's faces all the way around me, like the nurses when I had that heart attack. And they're saying, oh, he's awake. Now, they had carried me in. I passed out. That's not a blackout. That's no defense or no resistance to alcohol, especially in a rather bodily immature uh, nervous system brain. So what happens in old one-legged Johnny Banjo, the entrepreneur, I know he was worried, but in, in 1940-something, no one was going to get in trouble if, if one guy got drunk. And I don't know how I got out. I know I did the obligatory puking, and I know that I got home. I don't know how I didn't get in trouble. But for a week or two in school, guess what happened, Marsha? I got teased because I, how's your hangover? When are you going to drink again? Never. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I knew how to be like you guys. You tall, long-legged, beautiful, fast women. And, and, those, and you muscular athletes that I admired so when I was getting ready to, ready to grow up. And so I found out that I could not drink successfully at that age. Four years later, when my high school sweetheart, soon to be my high school bride, uh, gave me back my class ring. And I was not paying attention to that relationship. And, and, and so, uh, but I had my class, oh my class, I'm wearing a different ring tonight. I have my, on my class ring, which I now I keep. The, the, the crest came off of it on a golf glove deal. I don't wear golf gloves anymore. But I had, I had one of my, one of my son's jeweler friends put a, a white gold thing on there, and I have a triangle.
on the top of my ring. And there's no, there's no legacy. There's no, there, there, our, our legacies are so wonderful inside this circle of unity, recovery, unity, service. And when I came in in 87, it was, it was blue and silver and on all the literature. And it's not quite so dominant now, but I do have, uh, a nice medallion that says to thine own self be true, and there are the legacies. And you know, Bill and Bob and our new and, and those who came before us uh, have it here for us now, where we can have this wonderful conference. And 17 years in a row, this group of people in a hotbed of AA, obviously in, in Missouri, uh, celebrating something like the Circle of Unity and having themes like a new way of life is enough to make me proud to be here. And in, and in Kentucky and Tennessee, where I got sober, and drunk and sober, uh, when someone says, I'm proud to be an AA, they mean happy. And they use words a little bit differently. And by the way, I'm going to say this briefly. I'm also a recovering Kentucky colonel. And I, I, flew, I flew into Kentucky and got that, that uh, job down there. And, and uh, the next thing I know, I was taught how to drink a good bourbon instead of sipping whiskey. I was sipping whiskey through a straw because I didn't want to get drunk. I, 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 and by, and really, because I, I was afraid to drink it right. And by the way, I, I, I ran past that story about that ring. I went to a neighborhood in, in, in our St. Clair Shores, Michigan. I went to a neighborhood, a beer party in a house that was vacant for that weekend. Uh, the guys and gals that drank knew what house would be vacant what weekend. And they felt sorry for poor little John because Marlene and I had been dating for about six years. And everyone thought we were going to get married. And we did. It was necessary, but we did. And it was God at work when it was necessary. It wasn't me. I guarantee you, it wasn't my plan to get married and get, get pregnant and get married. And it wasn't my plan to elope when I was 18 and she was 15. And that didn't work because we were halfway down the highway and I had to turn around. I had mother's car and I knew she didn't know it. And Marlene was crying and I was sweating and that, that didn't work. But we ended up married as God had planned and we have two fine children. But what happened was uh, I, uh, at that beer party in that house, they gave me a beer. Now, this was four years after the pool all incident. I drank, it was Stroh's this time, Firebrook Stroh's, Detroit. <laughs> Two and a half years later, I'm in the fetal position on the bed. They put a jacket over me, I passed out. And they said, he passes out, it's okay. I remember waking up in the morning, a little cold on me, all the other jackets were gone. A couple of guys were in the kitchen making, it was before pizza and cell phones, they were probably making eggs or something. And I knew then I couldn't drink. And I knew, but I didn't know what my brain did to help me work on it. And I worked on it. So finally what happened is, and here's where I'm going to bounce to about two or three lowlights in my drinking. I'm going to highlight them. And then I'm going to go into the tendency where I finally got sober. And then I'm going to share with you how the miracle of my recovery happened. And I don't care what time it is, it'll be soon. Uh, I really, but you see, uh, I was also, an afterthought of my life was not just uh, my girlfriend, or my mother and my brothers. Uh, it was it was my wife once I got married, and <coughs> God at work. Uh, the only thing we got out of Daddy's death at the factory was uh, the insurance agent that collected premiums weekly, twenty five thirty cents. We buried Daddy and had a little down payment on a little Ford, and they gave me a job out of high, as I graduated from high school a few months later in the factory and, and, and a night the third shift on a trip uh, on a shipping and receiving dock. Uh, I can picture all of it now, and I I, I had taken business pre business and I knew how to type and things, and uh, and so uh, I worked that job at the factory for three years, going to night school. 
or day school, depending on what chip I was. And Because I, I, I knew it was Korea was started, and I was 1A, and I'd passed my physical, and I'd almost gotten the airborne. I was careless. I went downtown with some guys who were going to go on the airborne. If we had the shot pool and bought, and bought a couple of beers, someone bought them for us and, and went in Central Park and, and went home without joining the Air Force. But what I did was I enrolled in college now I'm two-way. And all of a sudden I'm a father. And all of a sudden Korean War is over. In the meantime, a low draft number. And, and I mean a high draft number and a low draft deal. I never had to go to Korea. But what I, what I did have to do was I had to become a father, and it was a wonderful thing. And so what happens, I'm in the day shift finally at the MAC plan of Chrysler Corporation, and I'm going to get my paycheck on Friday afternoon. It's, it's 2 o'clock, and I'm walking out the door, and the boss says, here's your paycheck. Don't come in Monday at 7. And that's what we usually do, 7 till 3 or whatever. And we had a lot of layoffs, and I'd, I'd had erratic employment opportunity, and by this time they had unionized the clerks and things. And so I had to, I had to go to, to my night school and find, and, and no, that, that's another story. But, but back to this. So I go home to my pregnant wife, my dear, and John, she, she's got big old swollen ankles, and my little teenage bride's got hemorrhoids and all those things. And I'm not doing anything but, you know, just bringing home the bacon. And, uh, and I, now I don't get to go to work on, in the carpool, and I, and I'm laying in the bed Monday morning over, over the weekend, and I'm, it's Monday morning, and I wake up to some rattling in the church. We had a basement apartment with real bedrooms. Our first apartment was in an attic, one big room with a bed with cashers on it. That was not right. That's not good. But down there in the basement, I, I hear this racket, and I walk out to the little kitchen we had, and my dear little girlfriend wife is underneath that table kicking those chairs around, having a seizure, looked like epileptic fit. And I ran upstairs, the old almost deaf woman upstairs, and she came down and put a clothesman, like a nurse, put a clothesman in her mouth. I don't know how I called the right ambulance and how I got the doctor, but an hour or so later, we had Marlene in Mount Clemens, Michigan. She had uremic poisoning. And uh, I'm at work. She's dead. No baby. God knows that. God knows. And I said, boy, am I lucky. And it was not a happy time because it scared the hell out of me all the way in the hospital. She, her eyes were open. She did not talk to me. thought she was mad at me. She should have been. But just because I wasn't a good loving husband, but I wanted to be. But when you're 18 and 19 years old and pregnant and she's like, you don't know love. You just think you do. What it is is passion. Hi, Margie. Uh, so what happens is we have our son. And 14 months later comes my little alcoholic Craig. And, and, and then there were some, there were some miscarriages. And then they transfer, they transfer me, uh, from, from St. Clair Shores. Uh, oh, then the other magic thing happens. And this is, this is the last working in the uh, footprints in the sand thing that is so important to when I have to get faith. And about 15 years later down the line, when I have to get faith in treatment, and I can't get faith, and I finally remember that when I decided, I went home. I had a, 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 I had left the, the, the uh, I had left the uh, oil company, and uh, I had gone to an oil company for work from the factory. I was tired of getting those layoffs, and I had uh, cost me $100 a month, and we only make about 250. But uh, it was a secure job, and 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 so, uh, but I wasn't making enough dough, and I went home in the middle of the afternoon to where we were working, in, and Marlene was trapped in this little house we bought for $9,999. FHA, VA, same price, 
uh, slab floor, little, two little bedrooms, and and uh, apparently the, the either the washing machine or the dryer. I walked in; she was kind of trapped behind it. It had been moving around, and so I I was going to a business management writing course. I mean, to a business marketing, and I wrote a nice resignation letter to the oil company, and I looked in the papers, and I got a job offer from New York Life Insurance Company, and uh, and I uh, and, and the, the my marketing people told told me in personality department which is now known as wellness, said, don't leave, you're wrong to leave. And I said, I'm leaving. They've told me I'll be a millionaire. And I left that oil company, and I went to, to sell insurance. And uh, first of all, New York said, you better not give him an opportunity. He'll never make it. I was 25 years old trying to sell insurance in people's living room. So what happens is 18 months later, I'm back at Standard Rock Company. I'll take a job. I'll go back to school. Five more years of school, I might get to be a salesman. And Ed Pregnus and Bill Locke say, we're glad to see you. We told you not to leave. While you were gone, things are better. Things are looking up. The oil companies are hiring people for sales that have some college and some sales. So this brilliant move, which was stupid, if it didn't happen that way, by God's grace, in a, in a year and a half, I go from class four to class seven, and I get in the marketing group where everyone's drunks, and drunk is accepted. And if you wreck a car, which I did, total one, and I even totaled a pickup truck. And uh, if we're making our sales and we've got our advertising budget, we can do things to fix up that truck and get rid of it. And no one ever knows up in the holy in the golden dome. And that's the way marketing worked then. And it doesn't work that way anymore. All oil companies, you know, what now, what trickles down from the, the CEOs now is, is more integrity. But uh, we were, and, and here's what, why I'm going to stop there at that and, and, and go to uh, Tennessee. But what happened in, ten in Kentucky was, besides being a Kentucky colonel, which I have a, a plaque signed by the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, thanks to a jobber who was in the, the Democratic Party, and he got John Miles uh, a Kentucky colonel certificate. And by that time, I was drinking no more whiskey, no more seven and seven. Wonderful seven-crown whiskey mixed up with seven-up. That's what I was drinking. They taught me in about a month's time how to drink on the ice some good old bourbon. I, I chose Old Fitzgerald, something old, not bar bourbon. And, 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 and I, I got a story about that that is so good you'll know I'm an alcoholic and maybe I don't have to tell another drinking story. But the point was is that I was now what Bill said, I had arrived. My, I was happy. I now had self-esteem. I had self-confidence. I was self-reliant because I could do sales. It's not like cold turkey trying to sell insurance. And congratulations. I sat behind you in the 12-step study. I couldn't see over your hat. I had to leave. I'm glad you're a winner. And you will be if you stay with us. And, and so, so what happens is uh, I don't care about another damn thing as long as I can drink. And I didn't care about the family. My wife and children were an afterthought. And if I tell some of the stories where I wasn't there when I should have been, someone was always there. And we did stay married 43 years, the last 10 years sober. And when we divorced, finally, we were living together apart. I was a plaintiff. Now that's out of the way. Divorced and, and, and 10 years sober divorced, and I the plaintiff. But the things I should have been divorced on 11 years before were no longer in play, and I had changed my way of life. I was no longer drinking double and acting single. I was no more uh, 
I was coming home at night, and I retired after five years. And I really, I worked five five years sober in the territory. I used to drink in where every customer I went in the the plant or the office. I knew what drawer the booze was, what part of the closet to go, where the ice bucket was. And most of them are drinkers, and they wanted me to drink, and I wanted to drink. But so what happened though? I went through five years of that, and they say that earlier today in the twelve step deal, he said, "Don't go to your old playmates." I had to go to my old playmates. One of my playmates, which was trouble for me, was my wife. That we had a we had a twisted relationship. Relationships. I told Jim in fact he's a great host, speaker host. He's a wonderful friend. If we get married, we got a relationship problem. We're too much alike. I don't know what it is, but when I'm drinking, I'm not thinking about uh, love and tolerance, especially of family members. And so uh, uh, what Marlene did finally was uh, she, she just uh, uh, detached from me. Alanon works if you detach from alcohol. <laughs> but it wasn't a Doris. It was a Marlene. And, and now today we're civil and we have great-grandchildren and, and five gra- great-grandchildren and we have five grandchildren and our sons and everyone. When we divorced, the boys and our, my daughter said, well, it's about time. We did not have dependent children. We were visiting our grandchildren separately, things like that. And when we went together, we were in different rooms. And that's the way it had to be. But it was a sick way to live, and we didn't have to live on. And so about this last drink I had uh, when I when I – Really, when I came into Louisville, I remember I was still sipping whiskey a little bit, and I went to Ernie's, Ernie's office, and we went, and he was the insurance man that sold insurance to our jobbers and dealers. And jobbers have their own oil company. They have our sign, and I had to be sure it was it was reg- regulated right. But I went in the back of that back office, and uh, I had learned uh, to uh, pour my, my bourbon, and, and, and Ernie just opened that sliding door and put the bottle out and he put the glass out, put the ice bucket out and he sat back there and he was already sipping on some of his stuff and, and, and it was about 5.30 it had been a long hot day, it was summertime I know and I, I got the ice in that tumbler it was about that big of glass, you know, a nice tumbler and I poured that that I just watched it and it, goes, it snaps and crackles and pops, better than cereal and I mean, you know, and your mouth starts to water, and, and, and I got a hold of that glass, and I drew, really, I remember it, just like someone said, just like it was yesterday. I even did it on my feverish brow, just roll it back around. My mouth is watering. This is a glass of bourbon. And I get it to my mouth and take a pole and put it down. I'm still holding it, and I put it down, and I let it, about, about three or four seconds all it takes, but maybe I had uh, ten seconds, I got it in there, and it gets under your tongue where that where that nitroglycerin pill can get in the blood system right away. And by the time it's going down here, ice cold and getting real hot, and the little beads of sweat are popping back out up here, and my hand is cool, and my brain is saying well, that was good, and the and the endorphins are already flowing, and of course that won't flow again without another drink. And they're saying more, and that night made it up two o'clock. Well. Not two o'clock. We went to a racetrack, Miles Park in Louisville, Kentucky. In the, and it was winter time, it was cold. They only ran Miles Park. Churchill Downs goes in the summer and the spring, spring and the fall. And, uh, I can't tell you my Churchill Downs stories. They're pitiful. But, but we ended up going in, in and out of the bar and betting on some old nags and, and uh, to a bowling alley. And I'm into parties and games and bowling and golf and, and, uh, pool. And, and go home sometimes. And, and so what, what happens is, uh, uh, we go into the bowling alley and drink some drinks and watch some TV or, and about midnight, I'm, we're standing in the parking lot and, uh, one of my pockets is inside out, I'm broke, 
lost money, and, I, and I'm not feeling bad about it, but, you know, i got to go home. There's no ATMs then yet. You know, 1950-something. Uh-uh. And, there's, and, and, and so I had to get some money out back in the morning and uh, wake up, take some, some plop, plop, fizz, fizz, or whatever it is. I got so hooked in that stuff, if I didn't have a hangover, I'd take it. Made me feel good. And you know what happened? I get up in the morning and start over again. And I drank the good times out of that bottle, and I got to Tennessee, and that's where I was about to get sober. And I hope that I have the time to tell you this, that that uh, my dear mother was, was uh, always sending me love letters, and you know what she went through to keep me in 1930-something and all the love she had for me. And, and what happened was she had a heart attack in Detroit, Michigan, and I flew from Memphis, Tennessee, the eldest son, and June came in, and Jim came in from Upper Michigan, and she laid in that bed, and she was having real problems with the heart attack. And for three or four days, she fought and fought, and, and, and all of a sudden the symptoms ebbed, and she was going to recover from the heart attack. And I went into the room. I already had my bags packed. And, and, and I'd been drinking all, all during that time. I had to. I had to. And so uh, I said I was going back home to Memphis, and she said, can't you stay a while? Because now she could talk to me. And I said, Mother, I have an important job. Something wasn't like that. And she said, yes, it's important to be important. She taught me that. And she looked away. This is true. And, and you know, I'm sure she hit a tear, but I backed out of the room. Down the hall, airport, airport bottles, bourbon in the air, 33,000 feet. She has a stroke, brain stroke, clot. I get off the plane in Memphis, and Marlene says, we're going home, change your suitcase, you've got to go back. Your mother's in a coma. We never spoke again. And that day, and I know, and there's more goosebumps right now, the good times left the bottle for good. And from that time on, there was other deaths and my friends and, and some accidents and, and a wedding when my dear daughter got married. And I got over gradually uh, the, 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 the terrible grief of, uh, of not being able to stay a few extra hours. And I hear, I hear it from people at this, this kind of podium in these rooms who get to see, hold their mother when, when she is, is sick. And I held her when she died. And I had a bottle of bourbon in the bathroom in the corner of the room we put her to pull the plug because they were doing things to prove that she'd never, she couldn't feel a thing. Wow. Good. Ten, ten minutes to get, uh, well, we're doing fine. I'm, I'm running out of gas here. What happened was, and the nurses knew I was drinking. And, and I was medicating. June had left too. And I sat there and she did the, the death rattle and the heaving and, and of course she didn't feel it but and I and and I did and then I wanted to run the hospital and we argued over that and then my brother in law who I came to love and my brother wanted to take her up in the woods and put her in a box and all that crap so and we fought over the little car. I wanted my father in law to have it. I love my father in law. Their family drank. My mother's family didn't. So what happens is I'm having panic attacks now. I'm driving around trying to drink and getting no good out of it, and I'm going to my wife is working for the family GP in Collierville, Tennessee, you know, across from that church. And Dr. Bill, Dr. William, uh, he says he knows I'm lying about how much I drink. He wanted me to go to AA. 
I know don't go to AA. I know A2 AA guys in my sales team. And I'm always in sales. I'm a professional salesman. I didn't want sales manager. And you know what they do? They, they drink ginger ale at, at uh, hospitality suites, retirement parties, drink Coca-Cola. I couldn't imagine that. And I was 204 pounds on this 174-pound frame. You put 30 pounds on me and I waddle. And it was pitiful. And my daughter's getting about to get married. And wait till you hear this story. So anyway, I got all this kind of problem, and I'm not going to AA because I'm a traveling salesman. Well, 18, 20, 31 days later, this is a real good story. I'm back on the t- sales territory, and there are AA meetings in every little county, dry or wet, in Kentucky, Mississippi, and Alabama, and that was my territory, and it was rural. And by God, if we didn't have a wet county, we had a bar where bring your own bottle and my own bottle and my own cup, and I went in and out of that territory that way drinking. But what happened was I found I could go to AA meetings and not drink, but what happened when I went in to, uh, to my doctor with another panic attack, you know, and, I, and, and he's already given me Xanax, Xanax, I gotta have it. It was medicine, and I thought so. I didn't know it was a mood altering chemical that was deep seated and addictive, but it was what could help me not have my insides, my arms crawl. I couldn't leave home without my Xanax, and I was drink- using it as needed, not as prescribed. And the wash was uh, even scotch if it had to be, but mostly just either vodka or bourbon. And 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 I was very sick, and I said, uh, and so uh, I went in, and, and the doctor was trying to get me to go to AA across the street in the Methodist, and, and he gives me a card from a spa downtown in Memphis, a spa downtown in Memphis, naive yet. 53 years old and 204 pounds, and he convinces me to call this number. And the lady lied to me. She said, yeah, I could walk away anytime I wanted to. But sure, but first I had to get approval from the insurance, from my, my, uh, my personnel department. I love talking to you too, Marcia, and you, sir. Uh, eye contact helps me. But you know, I called, I called Ed Pregnance and I said, my doctor wants me to go for alcohol and drug rehabilitation. And he said, uh huh. Because I didn't want to make the call. Everyone knows you're, tr- you're drunk. Everyone knows you're screwing things up. You're, do- you're getting the job done. It's okay. So they're happy I called. So I call back say, I guess I'll, I'll come in. This was Friday afternoon. And they say, well, uh, uh, we- we'll be here till 6 o'clock. Or, you know, and I said, well, I'm not coming in until Monday, and I meant it. But I knew I was going in because I had this plan. This is the neatest plan in the world. I was going to get my drinker rehabilitated. My drinker was broke. It didn't work anymore. I wasn't planning to not drink. I was like most people in the treatment center. I was going there to when I got out, I could drink again. And I meant it. And I, But I didn't tell my sons that. And I called John, my oldest son, and I said, John, on Saturday morning, I said, I'm going in for treatment. And he said, that's so good, Dad. He said, we've been worried about you. You know, they, they, they were. And, and so I called, I said, yeah, I'm going and I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be off for a month. My boss is going to run my territory. And he screwed it up. Bosses can't run your job, your job. So I call Greg. He's now in Louisville. He's drinking like crazy. And I tell him, and Greg, I heard him from the podium later on say that, uh oh, he knew he was it too. He was next. And he said to me, what a true honest statement is, uh, and I'll tell you about Greg's text to me this afternoon. Greg said it was a gutsy move. And I didn't think that, but it was, because I got in there and after I got detoxed, I was going to leave. When I found out that I was going to have to pay the full 20000 instead of just 20% of it, I stayed. And I stayed, you know, but that's right. You know, I could still count. 
Remember, I was homeschooled. I can do the numbers. So anyway, what happens though? Uh, <coughs> Five minutes, yeah. So I'm going to do step one, one, two, and three. Uh, I go, I go in the treatment, in the treatment center. I waddle in there. Oh, well, you have to know what I drank. So on Monday morning, you know, I buy it for Friday and Saturday. I buy a bottle. And the Saturday night, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I buy one more fifth for Sunday. And come this Monday morning, I'm not going in till noon. We're going to have lunch. You know, Marlene's driving me to the treatment center. I'm really happy. She cried all the way home, but I think she knew she, that I was going to get sober and she'd lost her reign. But, but what, what's going on here is I go, I bought two half pints, uh, to, to make it to lunch and uh, went to two different liquor stores. I wanted to buy half pint twice. <laughs> what would they think? Oh, that's true. That's what I did. And so, so what happens now? Uh, and I know I get to choose where we're going for lunch, and, and this is where I drank for lunches. And I know what my last two drinks were—maybe three. They were doubles. They were exotic drinks, you know, flamboyant drinks. It was Tanqueray gin martinis. I don't drink them, but I knew that I wouldn't drink for 28 days. And there was no damn bur- room for move in that. In that, uh, there was there was a olive and some and some gin. And I drank two or three of them. And I did kind of stagger in, you know, the Methodist outreach. And they put me in the bed, and they put the railing up, and they started the phenobarbital shots, phenobarbital, barbital shots in the you-know-where. And I was so proud that it took until midnight for me to get, get come, start coming down. I had a resistance to, pharma, to, the, to the drug that was going to bring me down. And I stayed in that bed for the second day I started to wake up. And you've got to hear this story. And then I'll be glad to say, uh, say good night. But you know, uh, uh, a guy named Bill, a tech person, sat there and talked to me until midnight. And I was talking up a storm and, and, and really didn't know it was going to be the last time. And, uh, the, the, the third morning, a, a young man who was captain of the day stuck his head in the door and said, it's time to get your Bible signed. Now, there was a Bible by the bed. Part of the 20000 bucks, you got a Bible. And I had one at home that Grandma gave me years and years and years ago. She said it was the best Christmas present I'd ever get. I was 12 years old. I couldn't wait to rip open the package. It was a Bible. I still have it. She was right. Yeah. But anyway, this Bible. So I, I get up. You talked about the Thorazine Shuffle. I get, you know, I got the little gown, I, I go out for, with my Bible, and, you know, and I got the blood pressure, and I got the temperature check, and, and, uh, the, the other vital signs that they can do, and, and I go back in and go to bed, and I did the third morning, uh, I hear, time to get your vital signs. They thought I was a Bible freak. I'm carrying a Bible around, you know, shuffling around. Never did sign the Bible, uh, of course, but, but what it, what it, what that did for me was it helped me see in retrospect when it's time for me to, to get the first step done, which I did in the third week in treatment center. And then, uh, and this is, this is the most important thing I did for any newcomer still here. That's a stretch, but hey, there's, there's, there, well, hey, look at my man, Mark. That's good to go. Yeah. Ten months. Eight months. Oh, see, I exaggerate. That's the only time I've exaggerated tonight. Let me just say this, that I was, uh, I, I had not, and this is critical, I was born into a Christian home. Daddy was not a Christian. Daddy was not a church man. Don't take that boy to church. What he was saying, and June corrected me, not a year ago, she said, he said, don't take money to church, the temple. 
Depression years, the money had to go. We needed it. Mother gave us change and we went. And and Mother got it in church and June did and I didn't. I didn't connect in church. I stayed in church. We took our children to church. I said every prayer that was ever said in unison, standing or sitting, Nicene Creed, Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer. I love some of the hymns, you know, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And I never went to a Bible study. I never went to a prayer meeting because I didn't see how any... I, first of all, I couldn't get Easter and 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 and, and the, the cave and the Virgin Mother and Christmas and, and, and Joseph and impotent. I couldn't intellectualize, so I didn't get it. I had no God. And, and, and so what's happened, I find myself, and, and we started going to a, to, to a church service, you know, every weekend right there in treatment center. And, and my pastor was coming from the Lutheran church, which I was going to all the time. And, uh, in fact, I snapped the white chip right in front of him. I was so tight, you know. And I just got through telling him, if I, if I drink, I have to snap this. And give it back in. And when I snapped that white check in the that chip in the sanctuary, he almost fell off the bench. But I got another chip to replace it. Now back to the story. Uh, so what happens? I'm I'm almost done. Yeah. This guy is my host. I know it's time to go. This is so important. I did the the first step the way it was talked about to, this afternoon in the twelve step workshop. The first step is not. On page 58, in how it works, where you admit to your, to your, where you admit that you're uh, uh, powerless over alcohol, and that your life is unmanageable. Everybody in the treatment center admitted that. We all knew it. Not one that I know of, but me, by the grace of God, did stop drinking. What I did, what I had done, apparently, I had found what the, the key was. Uh, I found out the disease concept. They do it the same thing every week, and they kept me a fifth week. I had some insurance, you know, and, 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 and I didn't have a sponsor. In fact, they assigned a sponsor to me, a minister who was an ex-counselor. That story I could go on till Tuesday, and we're not going to do that. But what happened was when I stood in the dark corner in our room alone, and, and my guy, Tiger, his, name was, his nickname was Tiger. My nickname was, uh, was uh, John Hancock. John Hancock. I, I, I was vainglorious. So what happened was, when I said the first prayer to God to take away from me the need and urge to drink, I meant it in my heart. I had decided, never mind about this, not going back, uh, going back out to drink. I had been driven in a van to an AA meeting, and I had seen people like me now, and most of you all now, where they and, and where they were okay not drinking. And they were telling me how they didn't drink and that they were alcoholics. And, and I wanted what they had. And I said a prayer that I meant. And I have never had to drink again. And I know why. Because right there in We Agnostics, which is all about the God I found from my childhood, it, it says this, that when you, uh, when you have the experience that you can feel the presence of God, like like our friend in page 55 did when he said, who, is I? who am I to say there is no God? And he felt him in a room. Something happened for me, and it says, uh, vicissitudes don't affect you anymore. That's bad luck, like I'd had a lot of. And it said that it's as though you could not drink even if you would. And many of us go out to drink. And if we've said an honest prayer in the morning, you don't have to drink again. 
In fact, it's impossible to if you really have God on your side. And that even works for fear because I was not frightened to come up here tonight and say what I've had to say. And I've said all I can say, and I, and I want to share this with you. Something different happens to me in this new way of life. I'm okay with who I am most of the time and where I'm at and what I'm doing. And when I look at who I was with the weekend and the week before I quit drinking and where I've been this weekend and who I'm with and how my health is, and, and I realize that by the grace of God, I, uh, I am John Miles and I'm an alcoholic and thanks for listening.